Anybody ever been called out uh, in a public setting where you kind of weren't wanting to be noticed? Anybody at all? You guys ever go to those classes where, you know, you're, you're sitting in the room and you're taking a class and the instructor's like, well, anybody want to answer? And you're sitting there going, okay, what do I do? No eye contact? Does that work? Or does he look for the people that aren't looking for him? How do you avoid being called out? Um, I grew up in a, an, in a time where education was more about uh, developing kids than it was coddling to their emotional status, uh, which I realized, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have been nice to kids, but I had a, I had a teacher called, uh, her name was Mrs. Knable, and uh, I was in the fourth grade with Mrs. Knable, and I transferred schools mid-year, and so I started in this school, and uh, I was way behind. I came from a little bit larger school, and Mrs. Knable ran a really tight ship. And so I had started my, I think, I can't remember if, if where exactly it was at. I think, actually, I would think it was third grade, and I was starting my twos times tables. I, I'd just gotten into the twos, and she was starting in division with her class. So I entered in knowing the multiples of two, and she was starting that first week in division. Now, her process for motivating kids to get better at their class was that she would hand out the lowest two paper grades at the front of the class. Mr. Freeze, would you come forward and pick up your test? Now, I got to tell you, that is brutal. But do you know how long I went up to the front of that class? Not very long. It did not take me long to get to the top of that class because I was not going to be called up. I was horrible. You know, I think there's times in our lives where, where we get called out, we get called up, we get noticed or pointed out by God. Um, and although in our hearts or in the circumstances we're in, it may feel terrible, it may be a difficult moment, but because we serve a really good God, He's doing it for purposes that are bigger than that immediate moment, that are bigger even than the emotions or the feelings that we're struggling through at that time. In this story today, we're, we're in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in another big block of, of Scripture, um, and uh, I, there will be two parts to this. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you up ahead of time, because I got distracted uh, in, in the middle of this, and I believe it was the intent of the writer to let us see the distraction that happens, and I, I, think, I think you'll understand um, as we go through here uh, the, the value of this distractions. So would you join with me as, as we uh, begin to read in Mark chapter 5 this morning? Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and uh, came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered under uh, much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if 
I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, for he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Man, an incredible story. We see the the... Lives of two people that intersect with Jesus here. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, as I'm, I was thinking through the sermon process, it, what really hit my heart in this whole entire thing is we keep watching these stories and we keep seeing, yeah, we'll see a couple of texts that reference this, but there were so many sick and so many diseased and so many dealing with spiritual warfare, d- demonic activity. Uh, what a tragic picture of the people of God at this time, of the nation of Israel. And it, what an amazing time for Jesus to show up on the scene and, and to reestablish God's interaction with his people and to call them back. So we pick up our story, right, from where he went over to the demoniac. He invited, we talked about this last week, he invited his disciples into a storm. They go through the storm and they end up on this, this, the other side of the Sea of Galilee where all this unclean stuff is happening and, and Jesus intersects his life with this de- devastated life of the demon-possessed man and, and re- restores him back to his right mind. And, and sends him on his own missionary journey, if you will, to tell his family and his friends what the Lord has done for him. All of this stuff has happened, and the guys are coming back on the boat, and, and they're heading back across the sea, and they land here, and the great crowds surround Jesus again. And we see a unique thing at this point, I believe. Uh, it's one of the few times in the text that we actually see a one of the religious leaders interacting with Jesus. And in a positive way, asking for him to bring something of value to them and, and not just arguing with him. And it's this man, Jarius. And he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And I, I love this. If you look at the last, the story from last week in these stories, all three people that interact with Jesus, demonic man, uh, Jarius, 
and this woman, they fall before Jesus. They actually, they, they fall in worship of him and um, in this posture of worship. And Jairus pleads with Jesus, right, to come and save his daughter. We're going to look at some of why this happens down the road. Uh, but in, in this process, Jesus says, yeah, I'll go with you. Now, can you, you see the, the, the scenario, right? He's got throngs of people around him. There is a large crowd gathered here, and Jairus walks up and says, would you come and see my daughter? So they start down the road. Can you, see, you, see the, you can imagine the, the parade of people that are heading to Jairus' house now because they're all following Jesus. There's this large crowd moving. They're walking along, and we know from the story that people are pressing in tightly uh, to, to touch Jesus, to be close to him. And this woman touches him, and, and I, I, my second point today is that Jesus gets distracted. And in my mind, he did. If you think about from Jairus' perspective, right? He's like, all right, come on, we got to go see my daughter. Let's go. Let's go. And Jesus is walking, and then he stops and says, who touched me? I think one of the things that really grabbed my heart as I was thinking through the scenario, and as we'll do that for just a minute, but I want to remind us of a principle of, of who Jesus is because of the character of God. And that is that Jesus shows no partiality. Uh, Romans 2.11 says this, and we have to understand that in Romans, Paul is challenging the believers, the Roman church, and he's reminding them that, that we're not to judge one another, and, and we should be very careful with how we judge in this process. And he finishes off this segment and says, for God shows no partiality. And we see very similarly in James chapter 2, verse 1, that James is challenging the children, the church themselves, and how they participate, how they live together. James chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the the Lord of glory. Jesus seems to not have given Jairus any more uh, 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 importance than that of everyone else that he's interacting with, right? And and yet, from our physical standpoint, wouldn't you guys agree with me if you were in this scenario, you had someone who'd suffered for many years with a disease but wasn't dying immediately, to the individual, a young child who was on the brink of death, would you not prioritize them? We would. Humanly, we would. Um, We uh, had a, for those of you that are in the car industry, um, which I'm not. I would. I love it, so I pay attention to those things. I'm not even sure why I referenced it that way. But um, we ha- we had a young lady die uh, test trying to beat her land speed record uh, this uh, I think about two weeks ago, and it made all kinds of news. I mean, she's you know in her th- I think early 30s, married with kids, and she's out driving a jet car uh, over 200 miles an hour to set a new land you know to beat her own land speed record, and it th- was very interesting to watch Facebook and how they how they viewed uh, the, the youth in her life and the tragedy of her death. That because she was young, it was more tragic because of the, 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 her youth or how young she was. So if we were to look at these two, we would probably say, Jesus, what are you doing? As I imagine the situation, I can only imagine that Jairus is losing his mind at this moment. 
as Jesus stops the procession and starts asking, who, who touched me? Can you just with me for a minute, imagine that it was your child. And here Jesus stops to talk to somebody that is uh, struggling with us. I think it's important to recognize, too, in the story, it's, it's clearly articulated that this woman had been suffering uh, for a very long time. Um, but he takes, Jesus seems to not have an issue with addressing the unclean issues of the Jewish nation um, with the demoniac and, and that entire environment that they went into were issues for uh, the ceremonial uh, um, ceremonial being unclean. And here in Leviticus 15, and we won't read it today, but just maybe mark it down. But in Leviticus 15, 19 through 30, it actually explains very clearly the, the condition of this woman in her uncleanness and, and the way in which she would have been treated. This poor gal that Jesus stops to interact with um, had suffered greatly, it says. And, and how had she suffered? Uh, under the practice of the physicians. And, and so them trying to figure out what the medical issue was and to solve this. And it, it says that she suffered greatly under them, that it had been for 12 years, that she'd spent all of her money, that she was completely broke. Everything she had had been spent trying to resolve this. And when we think about being unclean, when we think about this environment and the culture of of this of the people that were unclean in the Jewish uh, in, in the regulations, they would actually isolate them so that they wouldn't cause the rest of the people to be unclean. So could you imagine this poor woman who was not allowed? I mean, she would have been an outcast, uh, much like the leper, uh, much like the demon-possessed man. She would have been isolated and alone, and it specifies that she'd been like this, her condition, for 12 years. I know we have people that are lonely. We have people that are that struggle with those things, and um, it's become more and more apparent in our culture uh, that the impact of those scenarios and the impact of not having good family connections, good healthy home environments where you're loved and you're valued and you are cared for, we're becoming very, very aware of that as a culture. And yet here this poor gal who had suffered and spent all of her money was isolated and alone, and she's pressing through this crowd, which, by the way, it had to be just a spectacular feat for her to get to the back of Jesus. Through the people, through the crowd, and she touches him. I love how the text uh, the text says that, that power went out from Jesus, that, that he actually felt this power go out from him. And I thought to myself in, in my own pea brain, I just went, you know, well, I wonder if he stopped for every single person that touched him. What, that, what, what an amazing thing that he experienced every single person that interacted with him, that he, that he felt that, that he, he understood and, and, and recognized this process. So there's one important thing I think that we should recognize about the woman as well, that she had heard reports of this. This was not the first time that this happened, right? Uh, we know that from our own text in Mark chapter 3. If you go back to Mark chapter 3, verse 10, we actually see in the, in the text as Jesus is healing and great crowds are following him. 
Um, Mark chapter 3, verse 10 says, For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So this report had gone out. Even Jairus had heard that if Jesus came and touched him, he had this faith that if Jesus would show up and touch his daughter, she would be healed. And this, this suffering woman had heard the same and to the point where she believed if she just touched his garment that it would happen. We see in Luke chapter 6, a similar report. Luke chapter 6, verse 17 And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. As we think about and, and wrestle through with this thought about of power coming out from Jesus, the, the power that was in him from the Spirit of God, the power of God that was healing people and, and bringing all of these things to happen. Um, there was two things that really grabbed my heart about who Jesus was. I love the fact that he felt it. Don't you, don't you, doesn't that encourage you this morning? That Jesus, in the midst of this crowd of people touching him, he felt the presence of this woman when she touched his garment. He noticed it, and he responded to that need. He responded to that life, and I think there's a specific reason that he does. And in in my heart, in my mind, it's a it's a beautiful thing that he does. But it really caused me to think: Who is this Jesus then? Who is this Jesus that cares about this woman? Who has spent all, all these years suffering? Who's had the disease issue that she's suffered through? And it, it drew my, my mind back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. Since, we, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I think about Jesus who stops for this, this destitute and broken woman in the midst of being on a journey to go and heal a young child that's on the brink of death, I think of that great high priest that is so sensitive and so caring and so aware of the conditions of his people that in this moment he stops for her. He stops and he, and he reaches out and engages her in relationship. And it points, in my mind, it points me to the heart of God. We have this high priest who understands who we are, who understands our difficulties. He can sympathize with our weaknesses because of the temptations, because of what he has suffered. 
And yet he prays as our high priest. He prays in, in, in John chapter 17. We're only going to read a couple of the verses, but he prays for a specific aspect of this relationship between us and God. Verse 20 of John chapter 17 says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. As we think about this, this high priest and we think about God's desire, uh, Jesus' desire for us to understand the relationship that he and his father had, that he would call us into that oneness, I think it gives us a little bit of a picture of what he's doing for this young lady who has suffered so greatly. Imagine with me, if you would, that in the midst of this story, in the midst of this whole process, Jesus is on his, uh, on the, the, the parade to Jairus' house to go and take care of his daughter. A woman touches his cloak, one of many probably in that pile of people, and she slips away. What is her condition? Yes, it's healed. That, I mean, we, we know that, that in that process, Jesus, Jesus looks at her and addresses the situation, but the text says that her body healed. She knew that she had been healed at that moment. But Jesus in that moment insists on calling her forward and bringing her out of the, 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 the closure or the, the, the seclusion of her disease, the isolation of her circumstances, and he calls her out. And I, don't you love the disciples? They're like, uh, Jesus, everybody's touching you. What, what do you mean, who touched me? What kind of goofy thing is that to, to ask right now? You can see it in their response, right? They're, they're just like, Lot, what are you doing? And he turns, and I'm just, again, I'm imagining this because we don't have all this text, but my, my, my thought and my heart is that he turns and he looks at her because he knew her. And she, in that moment, responds to him, responds to his intentional calling out, and she comes before him, and she falls before him in worship at the feet of Jesus, and she tells him the whole truth. She lays out her story, her, her life story, what's happened, and the faith that she had in arriving at his feet. To just touch his garment. And Jesus' response to her is, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, the beauty of this picture is more than just her physical healing. Do you see what happens in front of all these people? Do you see what Jesus does for this young lady in front of all of these people? People that had probably had her outcast, rightly so, because of, because of her physical condition. People that had kept her at hand's distance and stayed away from her relationally, kept her at arm's length. In front of those people, Jesus calls her clean. 
Jesus sets right, I believe, in that moment, the record for her with these people. Do you see the restoration of that relationship between her and her, her family? Not just Jesus, but the crowds of people that are thronged around him at that moment. It was more than just a physical healing that Jesus did for her, I believe. And I believe that was the reason that he took the time to stop and engage her in this moment. Yeah, he, she was healed. And yes, she could have gone away on her own and, and been just fine. And then to go back through the process of, of people knowing about her being healed or, or how did this happen and, and all of those things that would follow. And here Jesus proclaims that she's clean, that she's been healed. And, and gives her that beautiful statement, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. You know, when I got called up front by my teacher, I remember the very first day I went home and um, I, was, I was traumatized. That was, you know, your first, your first week in school. And you've completely failed the math test because you've I, I'd just never seen it. I hadn't done division. And I remember my mom, who, um, and I can't remember if it was my mom or dad. It's been a couple of days since that time. Um, but I remember in that interaction, my folks looked at me and they said, well, you better get to work. <laughs> what? I said, this is for your good. This would be good for you. Get in there and get going. And and I I know that in that process, you know, we worked really hard at my times tables. I remember spending a lot of time working on trying to get through multiplication so I could even touch division. But they they didn't look at me and say, "Oh, too bad for you. Maybe we should we need to get you out of that class. We need to get a different teacher. You need special help." They didn't do that. They looked right at me and said, "This is for your good. Go get it done." You know, when Jesus calls out this woman, I, I would be willing to bet it was her desire to fade away and never be noticed. That would be my guess just by the way in which the whole process happened. She did not want to be noticed. And yet what Jesus did in his love and grace for her was a public restoration. What a beautiful picture of his love and grace. He didn't need to take the time. In fact, if you were in Jairus's camp, you would be thinking to, at least I would be thinking to myself, what do you, well, you can always come back to her. Come on. My issue is more important than hers. And yet at this time, and we'll look at, I think there's, I think there's a valid reason why Jesus Jesus had the ability to, to be confident in what God was going to do in both situations, and we'll see that next week. But in the middle of this beautiful story, Jesus is distracted by the brokenness of a young lady who has suffered much. I, you know, in my heart and in my, in my excitement about what I see in, in the text at times, I, I'm, I'm reminded of that high priest who wants us to be in a relationship with his father so desperately that he notices our brokenness. He notices our flaws. He notices our disease, our weaknesses, all of those things. 
where is it that God's maybe calling us out of the shadows in our lives? Is there a situation in your life that, that has been a little painful recently that, that maybe the Lord's using to say, hey, don't forget. Don't forget that I love you and that I'm going to do what's best for you. Because yeah, our time, so often our view of the best is so limited, it's so temporal, it's so immediate. And yet His is so much grander than that. It's, it's eternal. And it reaches beyond the scope of our physical issues, our physical needs. I love that Jesus called her out. I love that Jesus calls me out when there's times that I'm trying to hide away and sulk or, or just have a good, bad attitude, whatever that, however that works. I don't know why we're so good at that, but um, the Lord just doesn't seem to leave me alone on that. Uh, because uh, I can confess, um, do you ever have those those days, somebody posted something on, on a social thing. Do you ever have those days where you just wake up grumpy and you're not sure why, but like you're just not happy with people? Just gen- generally speaking, not your bride or your spouse. I mean, I get it. Um, but I mean, just generally. Do you, do you know that that makes it really challenging to come into work and open your Bible and start studying for a passage about the love of God? That makes it a little challenging, right? And so I had a morning like that, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to take a drive, which I realize all of you guys probably, you're like, what are you thinking? Um, but what I've found in my life is that that's the greatest opportunities for growth for me. Um, and so I got up one morning, I was frustrated. I was not, not, there's no reason. I knew I was in the text about Jesus understanding all of my issues and, you know, being sympathetic with my weaknesses and struggles. And so I jumped in the car and I headed over to Post Falls because when I really want some uh, um, comfort food, I go to I go I run over to um, Dutch Brothers and I buy this really bad coffee, and and it's a great little drive. Anyway, I had a, I had one of those moments where so, just I'm I'm in the fast lane doing the speed limit and somebody's going slower than me, and there's no reason for it. I mean, they had to be able to read to get their driver's license. And so I'm sitting behind this person, and, and literally at one moment in my head, I just thought, you never had to drive with these people, did you, Jesus? Now, I know that that's wrong. I know that that's wrong. Because look at what he's put up with. I mean, look at what he put up, puts up with in the text. But in that moment, I'm just like, ah. And so, you know, that, that's such a small thing. It's such a simple, easy thing. And I love the fact that so many of you laugh because you're all guilty. Obviously, this is a struggle. Now, for those of you that are the people in the slow lane, I want you to know Jesus does love you, and I'm working on it. Because um, I know some of you are those people, and I, I love you. And... uh but, but the reality is, is it was so easy for us to get wrapped up in that immediate moment in our current physical circumstances. And you know that was happening in this text. You know it was. Everybody involved in that story was so wrapped up in whatever was immediate to them that they could not see 
They could not see the value of stopping. In fact, I would guess that there was other people that thought Jesus was out of his mind, probably his disciples, stopping to help this woman, to address this woman who had already been healed. He was doing something bigger than just the physical healing, and he took the time for that. And there's so many things, I think, in our lives that because of the size of our view, the ability for us to see beyond uh, our scope, which we can't often, we're so stuck in that immediate moment that we have a hard time seeing what he's doing, not only with our circumstances, but with our circumstances for other people. The lessons and the life things that he takes people through, most of us would never have applied for it or, or signed up to be in that role. But if this truly is Jesus, the great high priest, who is so connected with God that he references their relationship as being perfectly one, and he's called you and me into that same relationship, then it makes sense that he would stop for a broken person in the midst of all of the other things that are going on. Because that's how he is. And we can trust him with those moments. Are we grateful when he calls us out? I love her approach to the king, right? She falls on her face. She's experiencing fear because she's been called out and healed. And she testifies to what God did. As we close in prayer this morning, I want to challenge you with this. I want to I want to challenge us as a church to surrender today what we think our current primary big issue is. I don't know what your issues are. But whatever it is, whatever whatever the thing is that's staring you in the face right now, whatever the the physical or spiritual or emotional need that's that's got a hold of your focus. I want to challenge you this morning to surrender that to the Jesus, to the God of this Bible, who clearly has those things under control. He clearly has the power to address those issues. And I want to encourage you to surrender that to Him this morning so that you and I can be freed up to worship God this week in our daily lives to get our eyes off of those moments, those current circumstances, and to put them back onto the king who's doing this work, who's engaged in the brokenness of people that are trying just to not be noticed in the kingdom. They would just like to to get a solution to our problems and, and sneak away. Because Jesus is interested in what's going on in your life. And I believe if the text is correct, that when we engage him, he knows it. Because he is that kind of high priest. So would you close your eyes with me this morning? I want to give you a minute, a moment, probably won't be a whole minute, of just quiet time for you to reflect in your own heart. God, what is it that has my focal point right now? Is it a material thing? Is it a physical thing? Is it, is it a health issue, spiritual issues? Is it financial? Is it our, is it our current culture? 
our, our political status? What is it that holds and captures your heart or that at this moment is causing you great anxiety or pain or distraction from the Lord? I want to encourage you along with me to surrender, surrender that this morning. Heavenly Father, the truth is, is that the, the challenges that we face in this life, although they may appear, although they may be minuscule in their scope from an eternal perspective, for us sometimes they are paramount. And they capture our hearts and they capture our worship. They cause us to be distracted from giving you the glory, from giving you the worship that you deserve, that you are worthy of. And they cause us to, to really just live man's eyes and not live in the God-sized uh, kingdom church body life that you've called us to. God, I don't, I don't know what all the issues are in this church. I know the things that I struggle with. I know the things that my bride and I struggle with. And I know the challenges that keep us awake at times and that cause even conflict in our own communication, our own relationship. Lord, most of the time it's, it's out of pure selfishness that those things arise. Sometimes it's out of necessity. But God, every one of these situations, every scenario that we face as a body this morning, Lord, you've known them before they existed because you are a creator God who lives outside of time. The Alpha and Omega. Father, I pray as we consider that this morning, as we lay down whatever it is that holds our heart captive this morning, whether it's sin or, or anything else. Lord, I pray that you would give us a picture of who you are as the Alpha and Omega, the Creator God, that in your sovereign wisdom sent your Son to die on the cross for each one of your children. And not to stay dead or to stay on the cross, but to rise again, to conquer sin and death, and to offer freedom to those who would believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this morning as we consider those things that you would shine your gospel light into each heart that's here. Remind us of that truth. Remind us of the hope that we have in who you are. Remind us of the freedom that we have in the midst of pain and suffering to turn and worship the God of God, the King of kings. Father, I pray that you would take these lives and you would use them for your glory this week. That as people see us in the way that we 
reflect you, the way that we live in unity with you and with one another, that they would recognize that we are yours. I love how John says it, or Jesus, it's Jesus' words, that, that the world would see that we are yours and that we are loved by you as you loved Jesus. God, I pray for the lonely and the outcasts, those who are in this church and those who are in our communities. Father, I pray that we would, as a body, be sensitive and aware and that we would love them as you have loved us. Help us to be your church. Help us to be your body and to follow Christ, our head, as we worship you this morning and tonight, and tomorrow morning on the freeway. May you be glorified in the worship of your people all week. In your name.